They're singing, Marge. Why aren't they killing each other? Yeah, their guns are right there. What good is sitting alone in your room? Come hear the music play. Now once again, where does it rain? On the plane, on the plane. And where's that blasted plane? Seventy-six trombones led the big parade with 110 cornets close at hand. Tradition, 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 tradition. Hello and welcome to the Fabish Factor Film Podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Fabish. This cat was never nobody's friend. Uh, you can applaud if you want to. So let me explain. Uh, last few years, I really have not been watching nearly enough uh, new movies beyond whatever comes out in a given year. So it's mostly me just re-watching old stuff. Been there, done that. So this year, each month, people on Facebook have been issuing me challenges to watch various films I've never seen before based around specific themes. For example, in January, it was just to watch some foreign language films. Norwegians learn Norwegian. The Greeks are taught their Greek. In March, it was to watch films with female directors. Why can't a woman be like me? April, it was sci-fi, etc. Robots. And for March, I was challenged to watch musicals that I'd never seen before. Guys and Dolls? Isn't that a lavish Broadway musical? It's Guys and Dolls. Not guys and guys. And in August, I actually broke my challenge record, watching more films than I ever have in any other month, with a total of 13 musicals from all parts of the 20th century. Got movies from the 30s, from the 40s, all the way into the 90s. Oscar winners, Razzie winners, movies people hate that I didn't mind, and movies beloved by millions for decades that I didn't care for at all. That is one big pile of shit. So... Let's get started from, quote, worst to best. All right. Let's begin. At number 13, we have Top Hat. Well, if Madge doesn't care, I certainly don't. Neither do I. All I know is that it's heaven. I'm in heaven. Fred and Ginger. Uh, this challenge, I actually watched my first two movies starring Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. And, well... I just said it, this is the bottom of the list for me. I like Fred and Ginger, and of course they dance, you know, like you read about. But when no one is dancing in this movie, I was pretty bored. Not much to say really, other than the use of this movie in the Frank Darabont movie The Green Mile is a million times more powerful than Top Hat itself to me. Ain't never seen me a flick of show. At number 12, it's The Doors. Oliver Stone's a personal favorite filmmaker of mine. Uh, he's made some of the best films ever made, in my opinion. With Platoon. Who you all know about death. Nixon. Anyone who screws with us, his fucking head comes off. You got that? JFK, so on. Oswald, Ruby, Cuba, the Mafia. Keeps them guessing like some kind of parlor game. Prevents them from asking the most important question, why? 
Why was Kennedy killed? Who benefited? Who has the power to cover it up? Uh, it was Siskel or Ebert who said, if you took the film Stone Maid that are set in the 60s, you'd have a perfect cinematic record of that decade. And here he tackles the music scene of the 1960s and the story of Jim Morrison and the Doors. And it's not very good. I'm not a Doors fan, uh, and this movie did nothing to make me a fan of theirs. I've seen plenty of musical biopics that made me want to go out and listen to some of the subject's music. Movies like Ray or Walk the Line or uh, Coal Miner's Daughter or Straight Outta Compton. Who the fuck is this guy? Snoop D-O-double-G, cuh. Who you? And uh, despite a brilliant performance by Val Kilmer, who's probably number one when it comes to a biopic where the guy looks exactly like the real guy, aside from that performance and a very good cast, the movie is very dull. It just doesn't have that kick that Stone has in his movies that he had before and after with movies like uh, Nixon and Natural Born Killers. I mean, it's fucking food here, you pray after you. Swing Time tangoes in at number 11. Nothing's impossible, I have found. When my chin is on the ground, I pick myself up, dust myself off, start all over again. Directed by George Stevens, who made another movie I discovered in 2019, uh, the classic western Shane, which has become an all-time favorite film of mine. Prove it. And in the other corner is Swing Time. Another Fred and Ginger movie where Fred plays a dancer trying to win the affections of Ginger. So it's the exact same movie as Top Hat. Pretty much same old, same old. I'll be honest, I was actually enjoying Swing Time as a romantic comedy and thought it was a very good uh, movie. And then uh, Fred Astaire suddenly starts covering his face in black makeup and I got a little worried. Well, that ain't good. Uh, and then he started performing a blackface tribute to Mr. Bojangle and... Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. Wow, I've, uh, I've never seen a movie go off a cliff like that before. Like, this, this movie was like an 18-wheeler that suddenly slammed its brakes and just careened right into a brick wall. I had to fast-forward that scene. It was much too uncomfortable to sit through. A very sad reminder of how far movies have advanced since the 1930s. Other than that, it's not a bad movie, but Jesus Christ, that is not the introduction to Fred and Ginger I had in mind. That could have been worse. No, probably not. Number 10, it's Meet Me in St. Louis. Clang, clang, clang went the trolley. Ding, ding, ding went the bell. Zing, zing, zing went my heartstrings. From the moment I saw him, I fell. Directed by Vincent Minnelli, starring Judy Garland. It's a family musical drama about a family in St. Louis that's preparing to leave their beloved home and move to New York. It's not a bad movie, I just didn't particularly enjoy it. Uh, Judy Garland's magical to watch, as she, o she always tends to be. And it's clear why she was a megastar that was so closely guarded. And that's an understatement. By MGM. This is where on the list, we get some songs that I really liked, such as one song that I had no idea was a Christmas song that originated in this movie. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. And of course, there's the famous trolley song. It's not a bad movie, just not a great one in my opinion. At number nine, we have the Oscar winner for Best Picture for 1968, 
Oliver. Double exclamation point. Please, sir, I want some more. More? I'm reviewing the situation. Can a fella be a villain all his life? All the trials and tribulations. Better settle down and get myself a wife. And the wife would cook and sew for me and come for me and go for me and go for me and nag at me the finger she would wag at me the money she would take from me a misery she'd make from me I think I'd better think it out again It's Oliver Twist with a musical twist It's a very mixed bag Actually some delightful elements that I thought were great such as the performance of Ron Moody as Fagin the leader of the Gang of Thieves. Shut up and drink your chin! Oliver Reed, genuinely intimidating and a great villain as the non-singing Bill Sykes. And some of the songs are actually pretty good. You've got to pick a pocket or two. On the other hand, I thought the kid that played Oliver was very dull, certainly when compared to Jack Wilde, who was nominated for an Oscar for playing uh, the Artful Dodger. What you staring at? And some of the songs and musical numbers just go on so long that it's very easy to tune out. And in a year like 1968, where you had such movies as Rosemary's Baby, Night of the Living Dead, Once Upon a Time in the West, Planet of the Apes... And, of course, 2001 A Space Odyssey. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Which lost its Oscar for Best Director to Carol Reed for this movie. With those movies, there's just no way in hell Oliver deserved to win the Oscar for Best Picture. Together till I dying day. The living proof that crime can I think we'll have to think it out again. Number eight, it's another movie about a young orphan, Annie. Annie! We hope you understand your wishes are command. We know your father like it Directed by... For reasons passing understanding. The director of Moby Dick and the Maltese Falcon, and the treasure of the Sierra Madre. I don't have to show you any stinking bushes. Noah Cross himself, John Huston. See, Mr. Gitz, most people never have to face the fact that the right time and the right place, they're capable of everything. Uh, this was actually the first film I watched in the challenge, and uh, it's not bad. I was expecting a super cheeseball musical comedy that I'd feel silly for watching. And yes, it's a super cheeseball musical, but it thankfully has a pretty decent sense of humor. Uh, with a surprisingly great cast led by Carol Burnett in an all-too-rare movie role as Miss Hannigan. You don't want Annie. <laughs> well, why not? <laughs> she's, uh, she's a drunk. You got Albert Finney as Daddy Warbucks. Tim Curry in a way too small role as the bad guy. And Anne Ranking, who's such a brilliant performer, it's genuinely frustrating she was in so few films. Let's go to the movies and wait and see. 
Some of the songs are better than others. I feel like the lyrics and the performances are on two different kinds of level of quality. But at the end of the day, it's pretty fun. At number seven, we have The Wiz. He's the man, he's the only one who can give your wish right to you. He'll send you back through time by running magic through you. Directed by, for reasons passing understanding, Sidney Lumet, who, much like John Huston, is so well known for his musical numbers. Uh, Lumet's an all-time favorite filmmaker. He's one of the greats with movies like 12 Angry Men and Network and Dog Day Afternoon. This is Detective Sergeant Eugene Moretti, asshole. We got you completely by the balls. And an astounding career that spans all the way into the 2000s where he was still making great movies with stuff like Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. Did he rent the car with you? Did he what? Did he rent the no, fucking car no, with you? No. And for whatever reason, he was hired to make this reimagining of The Wizard of Oz with an all-black cast based on the Tony-winning play. Starring Diana Ross, who has the chops to play Dorothy, but maybe miscast, as she seems a little old to be playing a role clearly meant for a younger girl. Uh, Richard Pryor plays the titular Wizard of Oz, since it was always nice to see him. Mr. Bigby, Mississippi Herald. Sit down. Uh, you have Michael Jackson as the Scarecrow, and that name sounds familiar. He might have been in the news or something. And it's not perfect, but it has its moments, and some of those moments are spectacular. It's too bad that it's very stagey how it's filmed. It's more like a filmed version of the play rather than any effort put in to make it like a proper fantasy adventure or something. Uh, but the music by Charlie Smalls and others such as Luther Vandross, that's what makes this movie. Uh, Ease On Down the Road is a nice song. But this movie has one hell of a climax with basically its version of the Wicked Witch of the West with Mabel King in a show-stopping performance as Eveline, who gets easily the best song in the movie, and it's one of the best songs I've heard in the whole challenge I did with uh, No Bad News. Yeah, when I wake up in the afternoon, which it pleases me to do, don't nobody bring me no bad news, cause I wake up And then after she's melted, we get the next best song in the movie with Brand New Day. That 15-minute chunk of the movie is pretty great. The Wiz is a decent, if very flawed, uh, musical. Now here's where my list gets into movies I'd call great or even better. At number six, right here in River City, with a capital T and that rhymes with P and that stands for poo. We surely got trouble right here in River City. Got to figure out a way to keep the young ones moral after school. The Music Man. Uh, Harold Hill is a con man salesman hoping to get River City, Iowa to pay for a marching band, and then he can skip town before he has to teach them how to play. Uh, Conan O'Brien's favorite movie, apparently. 
He's taken inspiration from it a few times, such as when he hosted the Emmys in 2006 with a great opening song. Well, a few years ago, we were sitting on top with Seinfeld, Frasier, and Friends. Then those shows bailed, and the new ones failed, and it started a nasty trend. And the guy who passed on Lost was promoted instead of tossed. And now the Peacock's getting it from both ends. Yeah, we got trouble. We're out here at Embassy. With a capital T and that rhymes with cheese and G, we're screwed. And of course, when he wrote the classic monorail episode of The Simpsons. The ring came off my pudding can. Take my penknife, my good man. I swear it's Springfield's only choice. Throw up your hands and raise your voice. Monorail. What's it called? Monorail. Once again. Monorail. Uh, the Music Man was a joy from start to finish. A sensational performance by the golden-voiced Robert Preston as Harold Hill. Um, who almost wasn't cast in the movie since he was a, quote, stage actor. Even Cary Grant, who was offered the role, said it should go to Preston since he originated it on Broadway. Uh, the whole cast is good whether or not they're singing, like Paul Ford, as the mayor of River City. Our fine player, piano player. Piano. Buddy Hackett as a Harold's assistant con man, Shirley Jones as the town librarian that Harold falls in love with, and Ron Howard shows up as a kid in town with a speech impediment that Harold takes under his wing. Not every song is amazing in this, but the ones that are, are true gems. For instance, you got Shapoopy. Shapoopy, Shapoopy, you got, you got trouble. 76 trombones and this opening song where the salesmen are explaining who Harold Hill is. And it took me four or five times listening to that song before I realized there's no music in that scene besides the vocals. So it's like one of the original rap songs. Never heard of any salesman, Hill. Now he doesn't know the territory. Doesn't know the territory? What's a fella's line? Never worries about his line. Never worries about his line. Or a doggone thing. He's just a bang, beat, bell ringing, big hall, great go, neck or nothing, rip, roar, and every time a bullseye salesman. That Professor Harold Hill, Harold Hill. What's a fella's line? What's his line? He's a fake and he doesn't know the territory. Look, what do you talk? What do you talk? What do you talk? What do you talk? The music man really has a blast with a capital B. My Fair Lady is at number five. All I want is a room somewhere Far away from the cold night air With one enormous chair How wouldn't it be lovely? Oscar winner for Best Picture, Best Director for George Cukor, and Best Actor. And it's the story of Professor Higgins' attempt to take a low-class London flower girl and turn her in into a member of high society. Uh, this movie was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, this is the first time I've seen Audrey Hepburn. Aside from the dull-as-hell Spielberg movie, Always. Never. And she's incredible in this. Very tough role where she has to be funny, dramatic, sing, and play two versions of this same character of Eliza Doolittle. Uh, I was stunned to learn that she was snubbed for an Oscar nod. Rex Harrison won an Oscar for playing Henry Higgins and he was dynamite. Higgins is such an asshole in this movie, constantly putting down Eliza and mocking her for her classless characteristics. Look at her, a prisoner of the gutters, condemned by every syllable she utters, 
by right, you should be taken out and hung for the cold-blooded murder of the English tongue. Heavens, what a sound. And yet, much like with Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, he is somehow lovable and charming. You're from Earth. Not from Earth, I'm from Missouri. Yeah, that's on Earth, dipshit. Uh, all of the songs in this movie are great. Um, I just wish it was a half hour shorter. For example, I felt like Eliza's father, who's played very well by, by Stanley Holloway, that character could have been excised from the movie altogether and I wouldn't miss him. But it's a delightful musical. Hepburn and Harrison are brilliant together, and the music is fantastic, and it's what a great musical ought to be. Eliza, you're magnificent. Five minutes ago, you were a millstone round my neck, and now you're a tower of strength, a consort battleship. I like you this way. Uh, number four, things get real dark and real strange real fast. Cabaret. Bye. An American singer, Sally Bowles, working in a cabaret in 1931 Berlin. Uh, I don't know if you're a history buff, but some stuff was happening at the time. Uh, she falls in love with a roommate who is an English teacher that she finds out is actually bisexual, putting this movie light years ahead of its time. Not that there's anything wrong with that. No, of course not. I mean, it's fine if that's who you are. Absolutely. I mean, I have many gay friends. My father's gay. So, on one hand, you have this love story. And on the other hand, we keep coming back to the cabaret for the songs. Bob Fosse won the Oscar for Best Director for this movie, beating out Francis Ford Coppola for The Godfather. It's not personal, Sonny. It's strictly business. And I can see why. Uh, apparently, in 1972, movie audiences were tired of musicals. The world was in a really bad place, America in particular, and so the escapism of Hollywood musicals didn't appeal to people anymore, really. So, Fosse made an anti-musical of sorts, a musical for people that hate musicals. None of the songs are traditional musical scenes where characters will break out into song in the middle of a dialogue scene. In fact, the movie's based on the Broadway play and has a number of songs like that. They were specifically taken out. And all the songs are done in the context of a performance in this cabaret. So it doesn't exactly feel like a musical in that way. But of course it is. A brilliant soundtrack by the famous Kander and Ebb. Most of those songs sung by the Master of Ceremonies, played by Joel Grey, who won an Oscar, and again, it's easy to see why. Joel Grey plays the MC as this devilish imp singing these songs about how crazy the world is. For example, a shockingly powerful and disturbing song, given the context of it being set in 1930s Germany, where it's him and this girl in a gorilla costume singing about if only we could, you know, see her through his eyes. And then the final line of the song reveals what the song has been about the whole time, and it's a brilliant and disturbing moment. But if you could see us my eyes. She wouldn't look Jewish at all. Liza Minnelli, 
won an Oscar for this movie. And, of course, it's well-deserved. Whether she's in the dramatic side of this movie or up on that stage belting out a song, she's incredible in every scene. Now, what makes this movie great to me is how it manages to be this lavish musical, and yet it is a story about Nazi Germany. I wouldn't call it a World War II movie, um, but it's certainly a movie about Nazis. Uh, the scene that struck with me the most, and it's one of the most striking scenes uh, of anything I've seen in this challenge. Uh, it is a musical scene. It's the only one that's not in that cabaret. We have a young man who's singing this song about youth. The sun on the meadow is summer Yvonne. The stag in the forest runs free. And uh, it's going fine. And then we pan the camera down. And we see he has a swastika armband. He's a Nazi. And then the song reveals itself to be a Nazi anthem. crowd that's watching this man joins in and it's so well done and truly terrifying given where given where germany was headed and it's also tragically relevant today seeing a lot of angry people singing a song about nationalism you know given where america is headed at the, the time of this recording <laughs> Bob Fosse took a Broadway musical and turned it into a drama with contemporary cinematic sensibilities that tells the story of one of the darkest pages of world history. It's truly a great film. We begin the top three with Fiddler on the Roof. Traditions, traditions. Without our traditions, our lives would be as shaky as, as, as a fiddler on the roof. Tevia is a poor milkman in Tsarist Russia at the turn of the century, trying to do the best he can, raising his five daughters. The eldest three are looking to get married. Uh, I loved all three hours of this movie. This is a rare long movie I've seen lately where I have no issues with the length at all. I mean, what a pleasure this movie was to sit through. Topol. My man is man. Uh, he plays Tevia and he gives a masterful performance throughout this movie. I think he was only 36 at the time, and he's playing much older. And like the movie as a whole, he's actually laugh-out-loud funny in spots. He's an incredible performer of some of these songs. Throughout the movie, he's constantly talking to God and questioning his decisions. Um, and every time he looks to the heavens to talk to God, sometimes not even saying a word, just looking up a quick glance as if to ask, what's the deal? It's a perfect moment every time. He's like Deadpool, if Deadpool was an elderly Jewish-Russian milkman. Uh, Norma Crane is equally great, playing Golda, his, his wife. 
and I was heartbroken to see she passed away relatively shortly after this movie, which is that's a shame. After 25 years, it's nice to It's this epic family drama directed by Norman Jewison, who made In the Heat of the Night, and he ended up making uh, Moonstruck and A Soldier Story. Lots of great movies. He's as good with handling the dialogue as he is with these musical numbers. Uh, the cinematography in this movie is just incredible, and uh, it won an Oscar. And just go look up the scenes from this movie, such as the opening credits with the titular uh, fiddler playing in front of a sunset. Um, cinematography rarely gets better than that. Uh, the songs are so memorable. And some of them I have still not gotten out of my head. Uh, my favorite of which would have to be If I Were a Rich Man. That's as catchy as songs can get for me. If I were a rich man All day long I if I were a wealthy man. Fiddler on the Roof is such a heartwarming movie about family and tradition. And it's an excellent musical. Lord who made the lion and the lamb, you decreed I should be what I am. Would it spoil some vast eternal plan? If I were a wealthy At number two, it's The Wizard of Oz. We're off to see the wizard, the wonderful wizard of Oz. We hear he is the wizard, the wizard, if ever a wizard there was. If ever, oh, ever a wizard there was, the wizard of Oz is one. Because, 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 because of the wonderful things he does. We're off to see the wizard, the wonderful wizard of Oz. Movie I'd seen when I was maybe three or four, but since then I never actually sat down to watch it front to back until this year. So I'm going to count this as a first-time watch. Now you know the story. Dorothy Gale is caught in a twister. It's a twister. It's a twister. Just speaking the vernacular of the peasantry. With her dog Toto and is taken to the land of Oz. This isn't just a classic film and a good musical. It's part of the foundation of film. And the reason I enjoyed it so much is I was shocked the whole way through at how well it held up after 80 years now. How funny it still was, how certain elements like the, say, the Twister were still scary, and how the chemistry between all the actors felt so real. The, the quibbles I had were minor and worse, such as the Munchkins' voices. Just, I mean, the, the actual audio of their voices making them high-pitched. I think was unnecessary and a little annoying, but that's, that is really it. That's all I have for complaints. Literally everything else in this movie is flawless. The cast is just sublime with Judy Garland in the lead in a performance that earns her a spot on like the Mount Rushmore of actresses. Even though it's a musical and a fantasy, she comes off so real and relatable, which is exactly what you need in a movie as crazy as this. Come back. 
And of course, her performance when she's singing these songs is about as good as it gets for a musical. Uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, which of course won the Oscar for Best Original Song, it's tremendous. And of course, its use in the movie as this scene of someone wishing they were somewhere where they are not, telling us everything we need to know about the hero of our story, it's a perfect scene. And it made me realize that intentionally or not, George Lucas did his own perfect version of this scene with a piece of music just as memorable with the, the twin sunset scene in Star Wars where Luke Skywalker is shown to be very much the same sort of character as Dorothy Gale. See, Wizard of Oz is so good, it makes you realize you like other movies more than you already did. Frank Morgan was my favorite guy in the movie. He played half the characters, such as Professor Marvel. He plays the guard in Oz. Fell out of order. Please knock. Well, that's more like it. He plays, uh, what was it, like a cab, a cab driver in Oz. And of course he plays the Wizard of Oz himself. It's one of my favorite performances in any movie. And it's tough not to love the Wizard of Oz, especially after seeing he's not some horrific godly spirit, he's just some guy behind the curtain. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! Then there's three of the most iconic non-human characters in any movie, with Ray Bolger as the Scarecrow. Some of the square roots of any two sides of an isosceles triangle is equal to the square root of the remaining side. That's a right triangle, you idiot! Jack Haley as the Tin Man. And Bert Lahr as the Cowardly Lion. Put him up, put him up! I have to point out how flawless the makeup is and costuming, especially on Scarecrow. It's such a simple look, he just looks like his head is a burlap sack. And yet, I'm watching this movie, 4K TV, and I can't see where the makeup ends and Ray Bolger begins. It's extraordinary. And all three of these guys are outstanding performers that they don't even have to do much to put a smile on your face. Uh, Bert Lahr's amazing as the line, and he is very broad, but it somehow feels totally appropriate and of the piece. He's a lion. Of course he's a little over the top. And he gets so many of the best lines in a fantastic screenplay. I may not come out alive, but I'm gone in there. There's only one thing I want you fellas to do. What's that? Talk me out of it. And then, there's the Wicked Witch of the West. I love that 80 years later, Margaret Hamilton's performance as a witch with a green face, a pointy hat, and a broom is still held up as one of the greatest villains in cinema. And she is an incredible villain and an overall presence in this movie with that insane laugh. See that wicked all just to get a pair of shoes, it doesn't matter. It's a villain that is up there with guys like Darth Vader, the Joker, or Hannibal Lecter. The screenplay, the dialogue, the characters, the visual side of this movie are all amazing. The Technicolor cinematography alone makes this one of the best looking movies ever made. But the music is really what takes this movie up a notch or two. The Oscar winning score here is as memorable as movie scores get. And every song is impossibly catchy, 
something not every musical in this challenge accomplished. Uh, I think my favorite would have to be the actual song, Follow the Yellow Brick Road, which leads into We're Off to See the Wizard. And it's just such a classic sounding bit of music that goes so well with that image of Dorothy and Toto skipping down the road to start this adventure. I had a feeling I'd like this movie, but not to this extent. Uh, I laughed at the jokes, I tapped my feet to the music, I got choked up in the emotional scenes. There's nothing this movie didn't succeed at. There's a reason people still watch this movie today. It's quite simply just that good. Uh, I'm not even sure it's been topped as a fantasy film, even by Lord of the Rings. Um, as a fantasy, as an adventure, as a comedy, and as a musical, it's just perfect. Get him out of here. And finally, my favorite movie from this challenge, and one of the best movies I've seen all year, Bob Fosse's All That Jazz. Like this cat, the only reality is death, man. Ladies and gentlemen, let me lay on you a so-so entertainer, not much of a humanitarian, and this cat was never nobody's friend. In his final appearance on the great stage of life, uh, you can applaud if you want to, Mr. Joe Gideon. Bob Fosse was recovering from open-heart surgery, and during his recovery, he came up with the idea for his next movie. Joe Gideon is a film director, choreographer, stage director, who is editing his latest film, while also prepping his latest Broadway show. And in the film, we see Joe periodically talking with the angel of death, as it were, discussing his life, and more importantly, his regrets. And the movie is a sort of musical documentary, giving us this picture of Gideon, or rather, Bob Fosse. And in the movie, Gideon is a heavy smoker. After working himself almost literally to death, winds up in the hospital and needing open-heart surgery. And he and the people in his life prepare for his possible death. This film is a goddamned masterpiece. Uh, I saw this movie and I just could not stop thinking about it. What's it in you? It's just ease. It's how I ended the challenge, actually. I couldn't get over how it's a great drama about showbiz, it's a dark comedy, it's an autobiography, it's a musical, and it's a movie about death. Bob Fosse, he was a genius. I mean, for a guy whose day job sometimes was coming up with dance moves, this is the most metal movie I've seen about death. Yeah! Alright! It, it isn't some sappy soap opera with a lot of crying or anything about, and it's not a movie like that about dying. This is a clever, funny, exciting, sometimes sexy musical all about death. In the movie within the movie, Joe Gideon is editing, is based on Lenny, which Fosse himself made. And we have a comedian talking about the five stages of death, and it's a very funny stand-up routine. And Gideon continues to edit this movie throughout this movie, so we keep coming back to this speech about coping with death. 
And of course, that's what the theme of this movie is all about. Dr. Kubler-Ross with a dash. This chick man, without the benefit of dying herself, has broken the process of death into five stages. Anger, denial, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Sounds like a Jewish law firm. <laughs> Morning, anger, denial, bargaining, depression, acceptance. It's about death, but that doesn't mean it has to be unpleasant. Shocking, but not unpleasant, such as the actual scene of Gideon's heart surgery, which is definitely a real-life surgery of some kind being cut between a scene of the producers of Gideon's show going over the finances at stake if Gideon were to die. Now, that's a hell of a thing to see. This means, gentlemen, you could make a profit of... $519,500. You could be the first show on Broadway to make a profit without really opening. It's almost not even a musical, and at certain points I almost wondered if it even qualified to be a part of this challenge. Because it's very much a dramatic film, with the occasional song that doesn't follow the conventions of a traditional musical until the final act. Um, but it is a musical, much like Cabaret, even if people don't break into song, it's still a musical with singing and dancing, like the opening of the movie. Sets the tone, with Gideon standing in front of hundreds, it seems, of dance, hundreds of dancers, auditioning to be in his latest show. I've, I've never seen anything quite like that. So many people crammed into one place dancing like that, with uh, the song on Broadway, playing on the soundtrack. Now that's a great scene. You were in traffic jam. Yes, sir. Who was the director of Traffic Jam? You were, Mr. Gideon. Oh. How was I? Terrific. And who was the choreographer? You were, Mr. Gideon. How was I? Fantastic. That's how you get a job. Roy Scheider was already a favorite actor of mine in movies like The French Connection, Marathon Man. Is it safe? And of course, Jaws. Please go to the end of the pulpit. What for? I need to have something in the foreground to give it some scale. And in this movie, he gives maybe his best performance as Joe Gideon. He's great in every scene, whether it's talking to his daughter, or his ex-wife, or his girlfriend, or his other girlfriend, or the Angel of Death. Uh, scenes where he's choreographing these elaborate dance numbers, or, or editing his latest film. And you have scenes like the final act, where he's in a dream, directing musical numbers featuring the women in his life and he's talking to himself on what might end up being his deathbed. This movie is so meta, I get a headache thinking about it. Um, in one scene, Joe Gideon is showing the producers of his latest Broadway show a new dance number he's concocted. So, the scene is Scheider playing Fosse in a scene directed by Fosse, showing a dance number that Fosse's character came up with, but that was actually, in fact, choreographed by the real Bob Fosse. So Fosse's directing a movie where Fosse is directing a movie. I don't even know what the hell that means. It's like, the, it's the original Inception. The whole cast is amazing, especially Anne Ranking, as Gideon's current lover in the film, and, well, current uh, one of two. I just wish you weren't so generous with your cock. That's good. Maybe I can use that sometime. Now, it's an audio show, so I can't convey what it looks like when Ryan King is performing, but it's something to see, and you need to pause the podcast right now if you haven't seen the film, and go watch such go watch her perform such songs as 
there'll be some changes made and everything old is new again, which is my favorite number in the movie. But nobody's less than great in this thing. Jessica Lange as the angel, uh, Leland Palmer as Joe's ex-wife, based on Fosse's ex-wife, Gwen Verdon, Cliff Gorman, who I know from Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai. The bird comes every single day. Hold it, hold it, hold it. Did you say he contacts you through a fucking bird? He plays the comedian in the film within the film. And uh, then there's Ben Vereen. Uh, as a TV host friend of Gideon who takes us through the climax of the movie, which is this musical performance where Gideon essentially says goodbye to the people in his life who are all in the audience in this amazing dream scene. The way Fosse tells a story of his life through the conventions of film, stage, and music, which he was so fluent in, makes this a movie unlike any other. I've seen a lot of movies and movies about show business, film, theater, but I've never seen one like this. Some people write a book to tell the story of their lives. Bob Fosse made all that jazz, and it's a perfect film. And there it is. That's my August challenge over and done with. It had its ups and downs for sure, but it was a lot of fun and I got a couple new favorite films out of it. But that's it for this episode. Please subscribe to the Favish Factor Film Podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud, not to mention have a listen to the Continuous Play Film Strip Pod, where at the moment I'm in the middle of a series delving into the films of Stanley Kubrick. Will I do a podcast for every challenge this year? You out of your fucking mind. But it doesn't hurt to ask. Find us on the Favish Factor Film Group on Facebook and join the conversation. What's your favorite musical? Do you think Bob Fosse's a hack and I was dead wrong with Fred and Ginger? Just let me know. But for now... I'll be the same. Good bye.